oh, it feels so good to say Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, right? I feel like I'm in Fox News. War against Christmas, those liberals, right? But Merry Christmas, everybody. So we're in the Christmas time, and this is the last sermon of the Christmas season because this is Christmas. And I just want to reemphasize the reason why we're studying the incarnation specifically, right, is we need to have a biblical basis, biblical understanding, a realistic, truthful understanding of why Christ came. My pet peeve in life, the thing that annoys me more so than anything else in life, are nebulous, uncertain, just like kind of vague sermons. It drives me up the wall. I want things to be nailed down so that people will understand who God is. And why he came. Like I said before, I think all of us have an understanding of who Jesus is. All of us have like an understanding of why Jesus came. But let's be real here, more so than not, that understanding that you have of Jesus is not really foundationally biblical. It has to do with more has to do with your childhood memory and what you've been taught during Sunday school. Dare I say, perhaps many of you never had an adult understanding of the purpose of the incarnation. Why Jesus had to come in human form. Why he came down from heaven to be with us. Why he did that. Maybe a lot of you don't have a grown-up understanding of that. And that is why we're studying the theology of incarnation. Like I said, I think you have an idea of what incarnation is. But we need to, have a, we need to understand incarnation from Jesus' word. From Jesus' mouth, he tells us what the incarnation is. Funny story. We had a deacon's meeting on, what was it, Friday morning? It was, it was very funny. So we were talking about various stuff, as deacons and I tend to, deacons and us tend to do. And Daniel God bless his soul, shared something, right? Daniel made a comment about a certain topic. And all of us spent like five minutes, especially Rob and me, we spent five minutes trying to interpret what Daniel meant by his question, by his comment, right? I think I said, Daniel, I think that, I think what Daniel meant, I think Daniel means this. Rob says, no, I think Daniel means this. What's so funny about it? It's funny what it was. Daniel was right there in the phone call. We could have just asked him. Sean Stark will roll his eyes. So inefficient, Sean Stark. We could have just asked Daniel, what he could have, can you clarify his comment? But no, Rob and I had to mansplain things. Let's not just rely upon our childhood memory of what the incarnation is. Let's study what Jesus had to say about why he came. Verse 38, these are Jesus' words of why he came, why he was incarnate. 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my, my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall 
lose none of those who has give, that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to earth. That's the incarnation. From heaven to earth to do the will of my Father. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. One of the things that Jesus did to come down from earth, come down to earth, is that he gave up his, his privilege and rights as God. Doing that means he submitted, he gave up his authority, and he submitted himself to the Father's authority. He came down to this earth to do the Father's will. Side note. That's why, if you are a Christian, just like Jesus Christ, you live to do the Father's will. That's the modus operandi of your life. You know what modus operandi is? That's the operating system of your life. If you're a Christian, you, you do, just like Christ did, you do the Father's will. You created to do the Father's will. Specifically then, what is the Father's will that Jesus has come to do? And we can talk about, you know, predestination, which will take a long time. Jesus says, my Father's will is that I will not lose anyone whom the Father sends me. Jesus says, Father's will number one. God the Father will send Jesus a, 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 a group of people to save. And Jesus' will God, God's will for Jesus is Jesus will not lose any of them whom, the God, whom the God, God the Father sends his way and to save them. This is very important, Christian theology. You are not saved voluntarily. You are not saved because you, you, you willed yourself to believe in Christ. You are saved because God the Father gave you to Jesus Christ to be saved. Once again, you are not a Christian because you made a decision during summer camp back in seventh grade. You are saved because God the Father gave you to Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ will save you. That's what Jesus is saying. God, will the one number one? For him not to lose you. For him not to fail in saving you. That's the will of God, number one. Will of God, number two. Jesus has come down to do the Father's will, and the Father's will is that he came to give you eternal life. Will of God, number three. Those whom he gives eternal life, he will raise up, raise you up on the last day. So we're going to focus on two things this morning about why Jesus came. Number one, Jesus came. Jesus came down from heaven on this earth to give you eternal, and me, eternal life. Can I explain what eternal life is in five minutes? Let's do it. What is eternal life? Jesus said, I have come to give, I have come to be the bread of life. 
And as a bread of life, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. What is eternal life? I think we covered this multiple times in the past, and Josh would know the answer to this. Eternal life is not so much have to do with the length of your life, but it's about the quality of your life. Eternal life is not so much that you will dwell in eternity with God in heaven, so that's certainly true, but the more focal point of eternal life is the quality of life. He has given you, he has come to give you an eternal high quality of life. Jesus has come down to give you an eternal high quality of life that will last forever. What is this high quality of life Jesus has come to give you? Like I said a couple of weeks ago, for the last two weeks, man, oh man, my wife and I, or yeah, we went coat shopping, and we went everywhere for coat shopping to, to get a red coat. I went to this store, I went to that store. I, I, I inspected the quality of all the clothing coats out there. I'm a clothing, women's coat expert. But what I know is this. There's a difference between a $200 coat and a $1,000 coat. And the difference is, is the quality. You can feel it in the material. You can feel it in the warmth. You can look at the stitching, right? You can look at the stitching of the coat. The high quality coats are a more complete, full version of the $200 coat. Correct me if I'm wrong, lady. It's a more complete coat, the more expensive one. Jesus has come to give you a full life that will last all eternity. This full life that Jesus promises you can only be given by him it will not be found anywhere else in this world. That's why Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to give you eternal life. Which means, the fact that he came down from heaven to give it to you, it means none of these things that he gives you can be found in the people, in the things, in the positions of this world. They cannot, things of quality eternal life cannot be found anywhere in this world. It cannot be found in your children. It cannot be found in your wife. It certainly cannot be found in your positions, possessions. It cannot be found in your dream come true in this world. The eternal high quality of life that Jesus gives you can only be given by him. What is an example of eternal life that God gives you? One of the examples, one of the things that God gives you is Oh, Rob, I got to do this. Where is it? I'm jumping all over the place. A life that is living in conformity to the truth. You know what truth is, and you live, in life, you live your life based on truth. You don't live lives, lives based on lies that you hear, lies that you tell yourself. And let's be honest, there are lies everywhere. 
There's the old song that says, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. They are people who tell you sweet little lies everywhere. Sean Stark, you know that song? Oh my goodness. There are things that tell you sweet little lies everywhere. You yourselves tell sweet little lies about you. About your worth. May I dare say that the underlying misery of your life is in your mind. It's the mind that believes in lies about yourself rather than the truth. Jesus says the truth will set you free. When you know truth about who you are, about your glorious creation, when you know truth about God and the beauty of his design, when you know truth about the goodness of God and the goodness of the world, you will be free. You are imprisoned because of the lies that you tell yourself. A high quality of life is a life full of truth. High quality of life is a life of peace. Shalom. Shalom, once again, is not a state of inner tranquility. I don't know what I'm going to do. Pray about it. Do you feel peace about it? Then it must be God's will. Bogus. You have something, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Let's pray about it. Do you have peace about it? Do you have inner peace, inner calm? It must be God's will. No, it ain't. Peace, shalom. It's not about inner tranquility. It's about restoring things that are broken. It's about mending things that are broken. That's what shalom is about. Because of our sins, all of us are broken. Our relationships are broken. Our internal dialogues are broken. Our marriages are broken. Our parent-child relationship is broken. Everything is broken. We are living in a world of broken toys. You know, like Toy Story 3? I just came up with this idea. You know in Toy Story 3? You saw Toy Story 3? In the daycare, it's all toys made up of different parts. You remember the baby head? The Toy Story 1 with the big head baby with the thing? With the arms? Crazy scary. We're a people of broken toys. But God restores people. When you have a full life, it means you're experiencing God's constant restoration in your life. Your relationship becomes restored. Your inner psyche becomes restored. It's a constant experience of restoration and, and repair. That's the full life that Jesus promises you. A full life is a life filled with unspeakable, otherworldly joy. This morning, I gave my Christmas gift to my kids, and my kids filled with so much joy. And I love my kids, but come Christmas 2023, they'll say, what can Daddy give me this year? And I love them. I don't want to shame them, right? But joy in this world is contingent upon things. 
An eternal joy is, lies beyond. Eternal happiness, feeling of eternal happiness, comes from the world outside of us. And God gives it to you. Those are some of the examples of the eternal life that Christ gives to you. What is the opposite of eternal life? The Bible is clear. Is isolation, first of all. If the full life is the life that God is God's transforming you into God's transforming your inner being to be a more loving person, if that is the full life that God gives, the opposite of full life is isolation. The tendency to go to your basement and watch Netflix all day. That's a curse. Playing video games 10 hours a day, that's a curse. It it makes you insane. An isolated life leads to a divisive life, an addicted life, a burdensome life. The curse of sin is death, and death, you can see death in the isolation, in the division, in the addiction, in the hatred of the people in your life. That's the opposite of life that Christ comes to give. Christ has come to give you eternal life. Many people believe, and this is so sad, but it's true, primarily think of Jesus only in terms of their well-being in this world. They secretly believe, if I believe in Jesus, I know it sounds childish, but it's true. If I believe in Jesus, then my life will go a little bit better for me in this world. That Jesus will somehow make my dreams come true. I know you don't want to believe it, but many people have that idea of Jesus. He exists to promote my dreams in this world. Because most religions are founded by people with such mentality. Did you know most religions out there are founded because people were desperate for things to work out in this world? That's why they created God, so that if they, if they, if they believe, if they bow to the God that they created in their minds, then this imaginary God will make their lives better. That's why in agriculture societies, you find these bizarre gods that asks bizarre sacrifices to their adherents. These people from these agricultural societies made up these gods because they believe that if they sacrifice themselves to these gods, then these gods will make their lives better in this world. Arguably, sociologically speaking, gods were made Because people were uncertain in this world, and if they bow down to an imaginary God, then their God will make things better. That's one of the genesis of religion. Jesus says, nope. 
I have not come to give you that. You can see this in today's John, in John chapter 6. The context of John chapter 6 is this. This is the context. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. With five loaves of bread, two fishes, Jesus fed 5,000 people. He not only fed them barely, but he fed them well. Their bellies were full. They were so full. It was like me, Rob, Sean, and, um, and what's your name, Joe, went to Fogo de Chao last year, and we had our bellies full. They were, their bellies were full with the food that Jesus provided. Because their bellies are full, they believe, whoa, this guy, Jesus, he's responsible for our bellies being reckless to be filled. And if we follow him, our bellies will never be empty. These, that miracle was point, the purpose of the miracle was point to the deity of Jesus Christ, the, God, the godness of Jesus Christ. But these guys, these 5,000 people, didn't care anything about the godness of Jesus Christ. They, they only cared about the fact that Jesus filled their bellies, and they believed if they followed Jesus, their bellies will never be hungry ever again in this life. That is why they wanted to make Jesus king, it says in John chapter 6. Wouldn't you, if you found the guy who filled your bellies miraculously, if you find the figure that if you think if you believe in this figure, you will always be provided for, like the federal government, Fox News, right? Like <laughs> if, you, if you see a guy whom you think, if you just follow him, you will have no more troubles in this world. Will you not follow him? These guys believed Jesus was that answer. If I follow him, my belly will be full. If I follow him, my church will be big. If I follow him, my kids will get into Harvard. If I follow him, I will not get laid off. If I follow him, my small business will be thriving. If I follow him, I will not get sick. If I follow him, I will be miraculously healed. If I follow him, I will have success. Can't you see most people follow Jesus because of that reason? The fastest growing Christian denomination in third world countries is prosperity gospel Pentecostalism. Tell the poor people, if you believe in Jesus, he'll make you rich. They will flock to that message, and they're flocking to that message. If you believe in Jesus, he'll make you successful. That's why these guys wanted to make Jesus king. And Jesus knew that was in their minds, so he ran away from them. Isn't it interesting? Jesus Remove himself from people who believe that he was a secret to a successful life. Jesus says, I don't, I don't want it, I don't, I don't want it, these are not my people. So he, remo- he moved away from those people who wanted to use Jesus for this world. 
What does that say about the prosperity gospel? What does it say about believing in Jesus because he promises you, he promises to promote your success? Jesus moved away from such people. They found him. Jesus got on a boat, went to the other side of the lake. These people, they're tenacious. Won't you be? If you found the guy, a nicer version of Elon Musk, wouldn't you follow him? Right? A more emotionally intelligent version of Elon Musk who's willing to share and not fire people? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you follow him? Oh, they, they, followed, they, they, they searched high and low in that region, and they found Jesus. And, he told, and he t- Jesus tells these guys who wanted to make him king, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that, that, that gives you eternal life. Jesus says, you're following me because you need something from me. You think I can give you what you, what you want in this world. Don't do that. Don't work for the things of this life, Jesus says. Once again, Jesus is not saying quit your jobs. He's not saying that. But Jesus is saying, let's prioritize what is important. Let's have a clear idea of what things are. Look, your job is is great. My job is great. I love my job. Right? I get so much satisfaction and fulfillment from it, and I get an income that allows me to pay and, and, and spoil my children rotten because of it. I get to go to Shoto, Japan, a restaurant. Pretty good guys, by the way. Right? Shoto, right? Because of it. But let's be honest. After a few years, my job will say, I'm too old and they don't need me. Right now, they think, oh, Jay, you're a man of stature. Some people told me that the other day. You're a man of certain stature. Am I? Yes, you are. Oh, guess I am. They will say that to me. But let's be real. Ten years from now, when I'm 62, they'll say, you're too old, buddy. And all the things that I can buy with money that I have right now, they will rot and spoil. That's what Jesus says. As important as your job is and as important as the resources that you can buy with your job are, they're destined to spoil. That's what Jesus is saying. But the eternal life that I give you, the quality of life that I will give you, that will never spoil. That will last throughout eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. And they said, oh, we want this bread. Because they have this bread in mind. Oh, we want this eternal bread. Where can we get it? Can we get it at Georgetown Cupcake? Where can we get it? Jesus says, the work that gives gives you eternal life is to believe believe in me. It's to believe in the one that God sent. Believe in me. 
Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, if you want the high quality eternal life, then you need to believe in me. The work that God requires of you so that God will give you eternal life. If you work, God will give you eternal life. The work that God requires of you for you to get eternal life is to believe in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? It's not simply saying, singing these songs. Believing in Jesus Christ means recognizing he is king. Just like the Argentina people recognizes Messi as the goat. You see, see what I did there? Bring soccer into it. You in, the, you, in your fundamental heart of hearts, the modus operandi of your heart is to recognize Jesus as king. If you believe Jesus as king and live in accordance to that confession, Jesus says, I will, you will have eternal life. The ability for you to have a high quality eternal life is solely dependent upon truly recognizing and confessing Jesus as your king. Not in a theoretical, nebulous, like kind of a Sunday school kind of a way, but in the real life gravity, gravitas type way. The weight of his kingship being just heavy in your life. Jesus Christ as king, defining your life. If Jesus Christ the King, is that how you define yourself? You will have eternal life, Jesus says. He's the only way to eternal life. The life that he promises you can only be found in Christ. We don't Recognize Jesus Christ as king because we don't think we need the life that he promises because we believe we can get this high quality of life somewhere in this world. We believe we're only a good job away from this eternal life, this fullness of life. We're only a purchase away from this quality of eternal life. We're only a promotion away. We're only a bonus away from this high quality of eternal life. We're only a child away from the high quality of eternal life. We're only a romance away from this high quality of eternal life. People refuse to see Jesus as king because they believe they can get eternal life, the high quality eternal life somewhere in this world. And Jesus says, that is absolutely bollocks. I turn British suddenly. Look, I'm an old man, right? Despite my youthful appearance, I'm an old man. And one of the, being, one of the ways that you know that you're an old man, right? A couple of things. Number one, you really start lying, liking those old-fashioned Korean songs, like, you know, those like really, you know what I mean? Like one that your grandmother, grandfather listens to. I really like him. Drives my wife crazy. 
I listen to the Korean channel and they sing these sad Korean songs, really cheesy, simple melody, I start crying because I'm old. I recognize that those lyrics are true. And the second way that I like the, the evidence of me being an old man is that the type of movies I like changes. I really like people, movies about people just talking. I don't like things about things about blue aliens fighting human beings in 3D. I go, I go oh, when, when the, the idea of me sitting through a movie with blue aliens in 3D for three and a half hours, uh, I'll do it, kids. Let's go watch it, right? But man, it's just, oh, it's like me going to basic boot camp again in Korean Army. The two movies that I like this year, the thing that I remember most about this year, two movies that I watched, the most highly acclaimed movies this year, it's called Tar, and, it's called the, and the other one is called The Banshee of Inner Shuren. It's just two hours of people talking. These are the most highly acclaimed movies of this year. When I was watching those two movies, this is what I realized. Human beings are really good at describing the glory and the beauty of human beings and also the brokenness of human beings. Those, these two movies did an excellent job describing the beauty and the glory of a human being. But they also do a really good job describing the brokenness of human beings. But these two movies offer no solution to the brokenness of a human being. They just lay it out before you. The human beings are broken. And the movie ends. The directors and the writers of these two movies, I think they know from their heart of hearts. The eternal life that we all yearn for in this world cannot be found within the people, within the positions, within the possessions, within the systems of this life. They cannot. They're found in Jesus Christ. You, Christian, are you experiencing in your life the eternal life that Jesus promises you? Eternal life Jesus promised you is not only reserved for when you go to heaven. It starts now. The high quality of life that he gives you right now, it starts now. You begin to experience the restoration and the joy and the love and the rebuilding and the presence of God in this world right now. My dear friends, do you have eternal life now? Jesus says, I am the bread of life because I'm the only bread that will give you eternal life. Why are we unable to have eternal life. John, John MacArthur is very, I'm almost done. John MacArthur is very helpful in this regard. I, I hear the sigh. Okay, I'm, I'll, okay I'll wrap up. Right, next time if you want to wrap up, just sigh and I'll wrap up. Right? Why can't we? 
experience eternal life. John MacArthur says, well, eternal life is really about responding to God's stimulus. John MacArthur is saying, life is really about being, being able to respond to God. The high quality of life, the life of restoration, the life full of love, the, the, the life full of truth. You can, you live, we live this way as we respond to who God is. The fruit of high quality life are a fruit where a person responds properly to the, to the reality and the existence of God. Are you with me? But because we are unable to respond to God, and God is the only one who gives eternal life, because we're unable to respond to God, we don't have eternal life. The high quality life that Jesus promises you is a fruit that comes from a proper relationship with God, from your proper response to God's existence in your life. But because people are not responding to God, unable to respond to God in their lives, that is why there is no life in them. I can tell you about the list of what eternal life is. I can even tell you, like I did, that eternal life cannot be, cannot be found anywhere in, within anyone or anywhere in this world. But unless you can respond to God in real ways in your reality, you will never experience the fruit of eternal life. Restoration, love, peace, joy. That's because of your sin. What sin does is it makes you believe that you don't need God to have eternal life. Sin makes you believe you don't need God to have eternal life. That's how Satan tempted Eve in the garden, right? You don't need God. You don't need to listen to God. You can just eat this fruit, and you will know, man. You don't need, you don't need the middleman called God. You can give eternal life on your own. Just eat that fruit, yo. People think we don't need middlemen. We don't need God to have life. We just need better internet connection and faster Wi-Fi speeds. That's why Christ came. Ephesians 2. If you believe in Christ, you're united with him in his death, which means... When, you're, when you have faith in Christ, the sin that you carried, it dies with him on the cross. And God, and God raises you up just with Christ. As he, when Christ is resurrected, he raises you up into a new being. And as new being, you get to see God clearly so that you will respond to him. Being united with Christ, being raised with Christ is the only way that God will give you eyes to respond to him. 
In order to have eternal life, you need to properly respond to God. But the only way to respond to God is for your eyes to be raised with Christ. When your eyes are raised with Christ, you will see God and you will say God is right. That's the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. An unbeliever says, I am right. The believer says, God is right. Let's say you fight with your wife. And in the heat of battle, you say these mean things to each other. But if you have the eyes of God, God will reveal to you what you've done. And you say, I was wrong, and God is right. Repentance is all about saying, I am wrong, God is right. I thought I was right, but God is right. That's what repentance is, by the way. When you start to see God is right, you will have eternal life. In order for Christ to give you such eyes, which leads to eternal life, that's why he came from heaven. You understand? And lastly, this will take two minutes. I remember the sigh. Jesus says, I have come to give you eternal life and to raise you up on the last day. Jesus came down as a servant, right? He gave up his privilege, privilege and right as God, and came down to human form to obey God. The best modern example that I can give you is, and the the modern example that I kept thinking about recently, if Jesus Christ came down to this earth and he was born as a mechanic living in Mechanicsville, Virginia, if he was living in modern times, Jesus did not come down and be incarnate in a form of a man who has an office, law office in downtown Washington, D.C. He did not come down as that kind of a man. He did not come down as a manager of Ernest and Young. He did not come down as a physician. He did not come down as a sweet seat executive of your company. Jesus Christ came down as a servant living in Mechanicsville, Mechanicsville, Virginia to obey God fully with his obedience culminating up on the cross, dying for our sins. And because of his perfect obedience, God raised him up in a glorified body. Jesus is a different, is the same God, but after his resurrection, he is in a different form now. The essence of who he is as God hasn't changed, but after the resurrection, the form of who he is has changed. The outer form of who he is, he is now God with a physical, resurrected 
body. How does Jesus exist right now? He exists right now for all eternity in a physical, resurrected, glorified body. Glorified body. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, if you have eternal life, you too will be raised up and given a resurrected, glorified body just like the one Jesus has right now. He has come, ultimately, to raise you up and give you a resurrected, glorified body. That's why he came. He has not come to make your dreams come true within the short lifespan of this world. But to give you eternal life and to raise you up on the last day. That's why he came. Let's have a clear understanding about God going forward. No more, let us not have this false idea of God, just like these 5,000 dudes had, about God existing for my success. But God came to give you high-quality eternal life and to raise you up. Let's pray. How have you seen, how are you, how are you regarding Jesus? Do you know of this eternal life that he, he promises you? Is the restoration, the healing, the increasing love of your life, is, um, the joy that he promises you, is that becoming an ever-increasing reality in your life? Do you have eternal life now? And I'm not talking about eternal life that you will get after you die, but now. Are you experiencing his eternal life now? Second, do you believe him as your king? not only confined to what your profession of faith on Sunday, but truly as you get up and as you exist, is the weight of his kingship affecting your life? And thirdly, do you have a proper understanding about Christ? Do you secretly believe in Christ just like these 5,000 dudes did? That Jesus is somehow the secret to your success in this world? Do you have such misunderstanding about Jesus? Or do you have an understanding of Jesus that, is, that conforms to who he said he is? Let us examine our lives. And if we need to confess our sins, we confess our sins and ask God to give us eternal life. And ask God 
to make us see Jesus as the bread of life and Jesus as king. For these things, let us meditate and let us pray.